Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne, a place where we have conscious conversations about things that really matter in our lives. And now, here's your host, Roxanne Derhage. Hi, everyone. It's uh, Roxanne Derhage. Thanks again for tuning in again this week. Uh, today, I have a special, I would say, friend, Jennifer Spear, with us today. Hi, Jen. How are you? Hi, Roxanne. Happy to be here with you. So, Jen, um, I often say she makes people play in the moment when when you're together with her and uh, she owns a business um, that's called Unscripted. So we're gonna talk a little bit, our topic today is just um, gonna talk a little bit about problem solving and what you do in the moment when you're unscripted, which is uh, Jennifer's expertise. But we're gonna talk a little bit also about some amazing research uh, that she has just um been kind of getting out there into the world. So Jen, let's talk a little bit about um, the uncertainty that we've been living in. And I think, you know, I would say that a lot of us are kind of getting tired of talking about it, but I think it's something that's now we're seeing the shrapnel associated with that uncertainty. So what, what was it like for you personally or professionally in the last two years with that uncertainty uh, with the pandemic. Yeah, thanks, Rox. It, I mean, it has been something. It's been something for everyone. Uh, prior to the pandemic, when I talked about being unscripted, if I was doing a keynote, I might have said something like, what if everything changed? What if you could no longer work the way you've always worked? And then 2020 came and we couldn't. And so it very quickly went from what if to what now, you know, and, and understanding mm -hmm. that. And recognizing that, um, you know, anytime we face any kind of change or, or anything new, there's uncertainty. And for most people, that uncertainty can be uncomfortable, right? And that's what can get us to, to stop or, or to resist change. But when COVID happened, we didn't have a choice. Uh, there was a lot of uncertainty that was happening, but we all had to be able to react. And some people are... Um, have been able to to cope or, or or to get through it a little bit better because of that being comfortable with uncertainty mm -hmm. and recognizing that you know over the last two years things you know it constantly changed and things are going to continue to change which means we just have to get good at it and that really is about being comfortable with the uncertainty being comfortable um, accepting the situations as they are and then being able to move through them and, and get through that uncertainty to the other side uh, you know and it, that's such a good in, uh, point right because i think if we were to back up and look at change change is a constant that we've always known but we never want to accept that things are consistently changing. Human beings, it's even when you see children play, right? Um, 
you know, if you give kids a, you know, a bucket full of different shapes, what the first thing they do is they try to kind of collate and put, you know, the circles together, the squares together, you know, all that stuff. So as human beings, we're constantly trying to make sense of things if they don't fit a category. And the pandemic, I think, truly showed us for the first time, glaringly obvious that we really have what little control we really do have. Um, and like to your point, some of us thrive potentially, um, not that we're looking for change, but we're able to kind of keep up with change and other people get completely shut down. And, you know, that's why I find it fascinating when we look at what's happened to some people that have thrived and pushed through the pandemic mm -hmm. and other people, they, you know, if they were struggling with certain things, um, those struggles kind of became exponential by 10 where they kind of got more frozen. Um, so if you think of your work in the kind of the concept of, um, you know, I was privileged to spend, uh, was it about almost two months ago now, we uh, we went away on a retreat together and we did some improv games um, together, which was fascinating. So in your world, when you're now or during the pandemic, when you were talking about that uncertainty, how how do people or how did people deal with that concept of being unscripted? So unscripted, um, it has a, a number of different meanings for me, but really it's based on the principles of improv and, and problem solving. And if you're familiar with improv, improvisational theater, um, in, a, in a nutshell, what happens there is two or more people come up on stage without a script and they create something on the spot that you would have sworn was rehearsed in advance. And the reason it works is because there's rules improv that every improviser knows. And so by sharing these rules and skills of improv, it means that we can become comfortable with uncertainty because an improviser has no idea what's going to happen to them, right? When they go to work, when they get there, it's a dark stage. There's no script, no costumes, no props, and they have no clue what's going to happen. And that is so exciting because that uncertainty and ambiguity represent opportunity. And so one of the basic uh, principles of improv is we talk about accepting all offers. So anything that is done, said, or brought into an improv scene is considered an offer and it's your job to accept it, right? Mm. So you cannot block or deny an offer. And so COVID or any big change is really just an offer. It doesn't have to be a threat. And so if you are able to accept that offer, accept the circumstances that you're in. And then another principle of improv is to say yes and, right? So you accept it and then you build on it and you move it forward in a positive way. Well, then we're able to take the situation and move forward. And so we're certainly seeing people who, um, when uh, COVID happened, um, that they started to, to shut down um, and others, saw it as an opportunity. So an opportunity to learn, an opportunity to do new things. Um, and you you alluded earlier the the research that I did. And so I, my partner, Angela Muzzo, and I just embarked on, on um, a major research study, which we're super excited about. And it was studying the impact of COVID on the human condition. And we were able to take a segment um, or, or create, identify five segments within the population. And if we look at these segments across how they reacted to COVID, we go from being incapacitated on one end to being inspired 
on the other. And there mm -hmm. is a group of people that were inspired by COVID. And by no means am I saying, um, you know, that it, that it was a good thing. There were horrible things that happened and um, during COVID. So I'm not making light of it. But to recognize that it was an opportunity. And, and these people took opportunities in their personal lives by, by connecting more with family or um, uh, connecting with neighbors, creating new relationships or in their businesses, seeing an opportunity to do things differently. And, um, you know, whether it's what you do, how you do it, or who you do it with, but seeing those opportunities. Um, I know, Roxanne, uh, from your background, you're you're probably very familiar with, with um, post-traumatic stress, but there's also post-traumatic growth that can happen for both individuals and companies. And we're seeing some of that now. So those that were able to come through the change, come through the uncertainty and accept that situation and build on it, those are the ones that we're seeing that are thriving. And I think it's really important to, to understand those folks so that we can help everybody else along. Um, we know from, from the research that 60% of the population are not doing so well. Uh, they're either struggling or they're suffering, but there are 40% that are thriving. And so if we can understand them, we can help the others along. And that's really gotta be our goal, right? To want everybody to be able to thrive as we're coming out of this and to be strong the next time we're facing, you know, some sort of uh, challenge or, or change in the world. You know, it's interesting that you say that, right? Because, of course, in my world and in my early career, when I dealt with trauma, so, of course, like when I worked with the police, what would happen is we would respond to a crime. You know, someone, something has happened. And I saw every iteration of that 60-40% mm -hmm. um, where something, you know, someone's life has just automatically changed within seconds. And we would go in as a trauma team. And quite literally, you would see people that could distance. And I often say creating a gap where they can say, well, I know this is really, really tough right now. Um, however, um, this is what, this is what I, how I can kind of look at things a little bit differently. So the, the concept of, you know, um, post-traumatic stress versus post-traumatic growth is it's, it's real. And, but sometimes some people get so shut down that they are um, almost like catatonic to the point where other people are able to say, well, wow, this is happening, but I can see that maybe this, this, and this is a possibility. Or, um, you know, right now I know I'm very, very sad. However, I know that I'll be able to get out of this. And it's so, it's so true. And, um, and, and th there often are factors associated with both groups. So let's talk about some of the qualities, other qualities or things that you found in this data, because I think that's going to be fascinating, um, with what we need to know, like you said, if, if 40%, this 40% bucket is thriving, wow, don't we need to know a lot more about these people so that we could um, dissect it, understand it, understand their cognitions, the emotions, how what kind of things they've done to take care of themselves. Yeah, absolutely. So what was what we did in the research was we partnered with some academics and used their models in our research. So we know that these are tried, tested and, and true. Um, so we looked at uh, we looked at uh, values, um, overall well-being and flourishing. We looked at resilience, um, curiosity, and then we were able to to bring those models in together. So not just being able to see, 
you know, overall life satisfaction on one model, but being able to combine that with overall well-being. And mm. so it was fascinating. And then taking all of that and being able to see, well, how are we reacting within COVID? And so there, there are 40% of the population that are thriving. We also have 40% of the population that you would consider high resilience, um, high um, copers is what the BRCS mm. model would would define them as. So being able to cope with uncertainty. And so it's both 40%, but it's not necessarily the same 40%. And when we look at those two together, it's actually only 13% of the population that are both thriving and highly resist resilient. Mm -hmm. um, Interesting. And when we look at that overall uh, well-being piece, so those that are th thriving, that are also um, doing really well on their well-being, which means their overall physical and mental health, their um, social health. So in terms of their social supports and their relationships, um, their financial health, um, they did better during COVID as well. Um, and so they're coming out just better overall and their overall well-being. Um, mm -hmm. It was also really interesting to see in terms of how they reacted with COVID. And so those that are thriving, those that were inspired uh, during the pandemic actually had a lower incidence rate of COVID as well. And if they did mm -hmm. get COVID, they had milder symptoms. Right? Those on the other side, those that you were describing who get shut down by it, they actually had worse overall health and well-being. They had higher um, negative health manifestations as well, more likely to get COVID and, um, and more likely to have more severe relationship or um, uh, reactions to it, more severe symptoms. And then we looked at their behaviors during COVID. And so those that were um, struggling through it were more likely to isolate themselves, uh, mm -hmm. to binge watch, but to binge watch at the expense of their relationships. Whereas mm -hmm. those on, on the inspired side, they were less likely to binge watch, but it was probably because they were just doing more. They were um, in spending more time in nature. They were doing things in their community. They were um, creating relationships with others. And that was overall influencing their, you know, overall well-being and mental health, which was overall influencing how they were behaving during during COVID. It was just incredible to to see the the differences within these groups. Um, one, I, I will say one positive thing I, I would say for everybody um, is one of the things that came out in, in the research is that the more resilient you are, the more resilient you will be. And the fact that we've all had to go through this incredibly challenging time, if we're able to, to get through it and learn from it, we're gonna be more resilient in the future. And I think that's positive for everybody. And if we can, again, accept those circumstances and be able to push through, that's where we're gonna see the positive on the other side. And so as leaders, it's something that we can do to help our people through this, to, to recognize those that are maybe struggling mm -hmm and help them be able to um, uh, work through the, the, the discomfort and, and get through the uncertainty to be able to learn on the other side, because that's where we're seeing the biggest difference are those that are able to learn through the resistance. See, 
that's just interesting with my psychological background, right? Because if you think about it, right, uh, in the data with um, staying at work and what keeps people away from work, generally 65% of it is relationships across the board nationally, right? So if you think about that, and oftentimes people think it's mental health or, um, you know, it's it's generally couples relationships, family relationships, and and some kind of connection, right? So even if you look at that, and I often say that we're mammals, Jen, right? What do we need? We So we lost the ability to be face-to-face, -face, front and center with um, people that we normatively would be around. All of a sudden, boom, that was gone. So the opposite that, of that is what I say is reptilian, which is the the the, the um, turning away from the shutting down, right? And I often say, even though you you know we're on camera, um, which is not ideal, we still have that connection of that mammalian element. Versus the opposite is if I'm shutting down, I'm thinking, oh, I, just, I don't want to do this interview today, Jen. Uh, what are we going to talk about? I'm going to worry, and I'm going to back away, which is kind of what what you're saying with this 13 percenters, right? It makes sense. And a lot of my coaching, I see the same traits with people um, because they are either saying, wow, this is pretty cruddy. Hmm. But what can I do? And the other people that are really struggling are saying what they would litanize for me is what everything that's wrong and well, what is possibly going to go wrong and what is going to be on the horizon, right? So again, that mindset shift um, between the two subsets. So in that 13%, I'm curious about them. What what did you, were you able to kind of parse out some of the mindset elements for that 13% of uh, those people? Um, yeah, for sure. They, they were uh, wonderfully uh, more likely to be unscripted as well, which is, uh, great news. Um, but what they did was they would look for creative ways to alter difficult situations, right? Mm. So they accept the situation that they're in, but they were able to uh, be their own self-direction and be able to choose how they were going to respond in it. Um, and they believe, truly believe that whatever happens to them, they can choose how they respond to it. And so that feeling that some people had in terms of feeling that it's hopeless because they were not in control of their situation, regardless of the situation, regardless of the constraints, we can still control how we respond within it. And so that um, is so important, that autonomy, being able to bring your own creativity mm -hmm. and um, choosing what it is that you do. Um, they certainly believe that they can grow in positive ways um, and they actively would look to replace the losses that they experienced. Mm. Um, and, you know, I was thinking as you were talking there, Roxanne, um, in terms of those uh, social relationships and how do you do it online? Um, I mean, you'd be creative in it. And, and so you and I were are part of a group that I think is a fabulous example of this is right at the start of COVID. We came together in this writing group and we meet mm. every morning to be able to connect and to be productive. And uh, it started out, it was going to be, you know, a few months, because how long could this thing last, right? <laughs> and now we're, we're, we've already been two years in it. We, we're still meeting every single morning as often as we can with this mm -hmm. group. And we've created this connection um, with people uh, on a, uh, 
what might have started on a we were all working on a same similar activity well then we developed uh, like an emotional connection with everybody as well and how important that is and so we are seeing that within the 13 percent those that actively sought out either to strengthen relationships that they already had or to build new ones um, and embracing this online world in terms <laughs> of there are some good things that come out of this because it allows us to be able to connect with more people more often. Um, but we are feeling, you know, the the Zoom fatigue for sure is it's a real thing. Um, and being able to, to connect with people again in person is going to be important. But we're seeing anxiety around that too, in mm -hmm. terms of we got used to one thing and now we have to change again. And when is the next shoe going to drop? And instead of seeing this change as a as a threat. It's an opportunity, and I think we have an opportunity to to bring the best of both together, right? Being in person and online. You know, and that's so important because uh, you know, I, and now I'm trying to think. There's ten or eleven of us, and initially it was like, oh, geez, I got to write this book. That was the thought, right? And okay, we have to put structure in our day. Initially, I think that was the beginning with most most of us, because I think some people had gone through uh, deficits in their business as upwards of 50 to 60%. But what started to happen after a while, it was like, I have this commitment, you know, and I don't know if you're what your thought, and I thought, oh, boy, I can't not show three days in a row. And then after a while, um, and I, these are phenomenal women, I should tell you. Um, but we started to be to each other's support system in unknowingly, which was amazing. And of course, what happens in lives, we have, um, you know, sicknesses, unfortunately, um, births, um, you know, people moving, you know, a lot of things in that two years. And even though we were online, we really created a depth of connection that was amazing to watch. And I can tell you as a psychotherapist, um, I was part of it, but I wasn't there in any other realm other than I was a human being that was as, is as much need of connection as everybody else. So you're so right. If you're looking at it and we look at the pandemic, the people that I've coached or continue to coach are the ones that are saying, uh, well, I can't have dinner with my family, but my, you know, I have a friend and through the COVID, what she did is she had lunch every single day with her elderly parents in the backyard um, you know, and whether it was a sandwich, which was really quick, they had that connection because her elderly parents lived with her or my girlfriend, a friend of mine who lives right in my neighborhood every single day through COVID thick or thin through the golf course in the snow, we walked for over an hour every single day. I have never explored my neighborhood in that way at all, Jen. So the positives, those, that 13%, you could see. Um, if these are some of the examples of things people have done, how amazing they, they would have thrived through it. Yeah, absolutely. And we're seeing those that are, are doing the best from it. Also, in terms of their values overall, um, their focus was on self-transcendence and, and openness to change. And, and both of those is more of a, um, a focus on others. So it goes from a, a me to a we focus. And so by focusing on others and wanting to help others, um, that can help uh, bring us up as well in terms of, you know, that, that thriving um, in terms of the positive outlook and being optimistic. And so we're seeing those that are on the highest end 
that that focus from from me to we the ones on on the lower end they're more about trying to avoid anxiety as opposed to moving towards something they're they're trying to move away some, from something and their focus is definitely more on themselves on self protection um focus on their highest values being around safety and security and that makes sense and and for a lot of people um we were financially impacted by the pandemic and so when you're hit at those core levels which can impact so many other things that make sense that we're going to be focused on our own personal safety and security and how are we going to get through this and once we feel comfortable in that area then we're able to to um rise above and look at other things and and focus on other people so we are seeing there is a difference on on the financial side as well and um just hoping that as everyone starts uh, going back to work and and we've seen a lot of industries that are opening up again uh to be able to work in different ways i think it's going to be extremely positive as well I, and speaking of work um, the one thing that came out of this study, which has come out of every single study I have read through all of this, is that people want to work from home. And, mm. uh, and so it's recognizing that, again, as leaders in, in, our, um, in our work, when we're thinking about our teams and our employees, the ability to be flexible is going to be a key to retention. Mm -hmm. right now. I, I certainly believe it. Uh, time is the new luxury. And people have recognized how much time they've saved by not commuting and what they can use that time for. And if we can help them see that save time as a way that they can um, use that to build relationships or, or take on a creative hobby or to get out in nature and to exercise, um, then we will be able to help them in terms of their overall well-being and, and help them be able to thrive as well. So for leaders and, and, and people in organizations from some of this data, what are some of the things that leaders should be thinking about? They should be, like you said, being creative with flexibility. Their benefits programs should accordingly, I would say, mirror um, what kind of things that they should be offering to people. Um, flex times. I, I think of the counter side of this as well. Um, also leaving the house is something that maybe building that into your to your return to work uh, policy as well, right? So don't assume that everybody wants to be home all the time, but to make it uh, kind of creative enough. I know some environments have had it so that because they're trying to maintain that connection is to also have their, uh, say, maybe quarterly meetings or something in person. These are some of the things that I've heard. What are some of the other things that you think leaders should be thinking about um, with some of the research? Yeah, flexibility is definitely key. If, if people can feel that they have more control or more autonomy over their schedules and how they do things, uh, one of the biggest frustrations that we see is that people being told you have to go back to work and then they spend their entire day on a Zoom meeting or a Teams meeting. Mm -hmm. And that could have been done from home. Uh, so thinking about the things that can be done as easily from home if people prefer that and what needs to be done in person. And we know, you know, that connection piece in terms of being with mm -hmm. people, you can't replicate it online. You, you truly need to be in person, but there's a lot of tasks that we can do as well, if not even better online or at home when we're able to, to focus and concentrate. Now there were times during this pandemic when the entire family was at home. And so uh, <laughs> that would have been challenging as well. And so you would have to be able to negotiate that but I think if leaders are able to, um, 
when they're asking people to come back to work to if it makes sense, if it, if it seems like it's in a reasonable request because we're going to be able to do something with it uh, and that is respectful of, of the people's time and energy and what it is that they need to do, I think that's key. The other big one we're really seeing is everywhere. Um, we have an issue around trust um, mm -hmm. and trust has been broken in, in a big way for, for a lot of people. Uh, one of the really interesting questions that we had within the study was we used idioms or, or common phrases and we asked people which of these phrases have more meaning to you since the pandemic and the number mm. one phrase that came up was don't believe everything you hear mm. interesting and, right and and then we were able to to ask people to tell us why so we have you know 2000 verbatims on on why these are are important phrases or why they have more meaning to them and with that, when it really comes down to trust being one of the main themes that came mm -hmm. out of that. So as leaders, I can't over overemphasize how important it is to uh, communicate clearly, consistently, mm -hmm. do what you say you're going to do, um, support your employees, support your teams in, in the way that you can. Uh, everything that we do either either builds or breaks trust. And, and right now it's it's pretty broken. And so we have to do a lot of work to be able to, to bring that up. And certain industries we know have to do a lot of that work uh, to get their customers, their clients or their members back as well. Right. So I think there's a lot of work to do there. For sure. And, and if, you know, if you think about it in my new book, ROR, uh, Return on Relationships, I talk a lot about trust and from a from a psychological end, psychological safety is about consistency, small steps. Um, you know, so gone are the days where we can kind of look at the mission, the vision, the strategic plan. It's like kind of it's kind of like, okay, what is the living plan so that you can reestablish trust if you've broken it? Because a lot of companies didn't do it well. Um, they went virtual. Uh, managers that were managing not so well kind of didn't did worse. Well, now they had you know people kind of east to west coast. So there is. A, I think it's looking at things objectively. To your point, where are we at? Don't start all of a sudden start to do you know um, you know picnics and get-togethers if you haven't addressed the issues that kind of uh, were left behind prior to the pandemic. Figure out the steps. Take a pulse. Figure out how you're going to get into that data, and then figure out what are some simple little things that you can start to do to let people know we may have screwed up a little bit back there, and we're human too, and we were scared as well. However, this is what we learned and help us understand how we're going to take those next steps. I think that becomes very very important because without that um, transparency, the capacity to start to develop trust again is, is kind of, it's lost. Absolutely. And, and you nailed it, Roxanne, in terms of that transparency and also that vulnerability to say, we might've gotten it wrong. We did make some mistakes mm -hmm. this was for all of us. I mean, none of us have worked through a global pandemic before, you know, it, right. it is pretty amazing. And so we have to, you know, go easy on ourselves as well, but recognizing that we have an opportunity to, to make it better, to improve, to grow, and to be able to help our employees do this. And recognizing what a big piece work is in the rest of our lives, and especially if people are working from home. I mean, now work is in our homes. Mm -hmm. And the more we can be positive and help them on the work side, 
that's going to move over to their home life and in terms of helping their overall well-being and, and um, life satisfaction. And so the more we can do this and, and support um, our people, the, the stronger we're all going to be moving through this and, and ready, you know, for, for uh, the next change and seeing it as an opportunity and more than a threat. Well, I'm excited about your research and I'm sure there's leaders out there thinking, all right, how do we talk to this lady? Um, and about, uh, it's called the chaos lab is her, her um, new business that um, has the research. And so, so where can people um, reach out to you, learn more about it? Um, and just, I'm sure I'm thinking about, you know, companies that could potentially look at that from some of our conversations. So tell people a little bit about uh, Chaos Lab and kind of what are you going to do with all this amazing stuff and where they might be able to reach you to be able to consult about some of this. Thanks, Roxanne. I'm so super excited about this. So this new adventure uh, is a joint venture between me and my partner, Angela Mutso, um, Chaos Lab, and our first um, work that we did together is this study, which we're calling Chaos to Clarity. And so it's really fresh. I mean, we launched this study on the second anniversary of when the World Health Organization declared it a pandemic. And so that was significant in, in terms of being two years into this and really understanding the impact on people's values and behavior um, and how is that going to impact us at work. Uh, so we're excited to, to be sharing the results. And, and this today was a little bit of a sneak preview. We're having our first reveal of some of the information on June 23rd. And uh, we'll have information about that on our website, which is uh, still fresh. I mean, the, the ink is dripping off the screen a little bit, <laughs> uh, but it's chaoslab.org. Um, but you can always reach out to me as well. And it's Spear at workunscripted.com. Um, we're going to be posting information on the website, but also on, on LinkedIn and, and the other social networks. So I'm super excited about being able to share it with you, Roxanne, and really looking forward to, to working uh, with leaders and teams and organizations to be able to, to bring this information to life and what can we do with it uh, to help everybody um, learn and, and grow and be able to face uncertainty with courage and confidence. Absolutely. And post-traumatic growth, right? So with my, you know, what I talk about with leaders, I tell them the more they're connected to themselves and, and really getting a sense of how to maneuver through change in this case, then they're able to impact others around them. So, which is, I think this, uh, you know, 13% <clears throat> on the data can help us because the more we learn about these individuals, then in turn, we can, um, you know, set up trainings or potential ways to people that maybe would like to acquire these skills or accentuate these skills can learn these things and be able to implement them in their prayer groups or their, you know, their different uh, teams, all those things. So I think it's, this is a fascinating research. And, and again, thanks so much for letting us get a little bit inside um, information about it before uh, the June 23rd. So for anybody um, wanting more of, again, it'll, all this information will be in the show notes and you can reach out to Jen at any point. So for, Anyone listening that really wants to learn uh, about authentic leadership, like, you know, how am I, how am I doing with all this stuff? Um, you know, uh, 
just reach out. Uh, as you can see below my name, you can see roxanderhodge.com. It's a quiz. You can say, you, you may say, hey, it's not at work. I want to look at home. All you do is fill out this little uh, fun quiz. It'll pop you back the information and you'll know kind of where you benchmark in, re in reference to things like communication, transparency, connection, all those, those good things. So again, Jen, thanks so much for your time. For everybody listening, thank you so much for hanging out with me every single week. I've been enjoying the lives and it I've uh let's say I'm getting a little bit better at the lives and and um I've been really, really um enjoying the moment where I can speak to you live. So take care, everyone, and we'll check in with you again next week at eleven at Thursday. Take care. Bye bye. Thanks for tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne, creating the space for positive, healthy change. Roxanne is a keynote speaker, psychotherapist, and coach. To work with Roxanne, visit roxanderhajcom blueprint. We'll see you next time on Authentic Living with Roxanne.